If you want a great conversation with a Philadelphia sports figure you should know more about, listen to One on One with Matt Leon on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Jay, are you a fan of doomsday movies? Do you have a favorite doomsday movie? Every day it seems like these days is a doomsday movie, but I know that 28 Days Later is the one that really jumps out to me as the one big doomsday movie that really left a big imprint on me. I have always been a big fan of Mars Attacks. Did you ever see that? (laughs) That movie was hilarious. It was. It it was both messed up and really funny at the same time. Yeah, it was with Jack Nicholson, Pierce Brosnan, Aliens, all this stuff. It was like in the mid-90s. But of course, I recently saw Don't Look Up when it came out a few months ago, and it shook me up after I watched it because it's like you have this thing, this proven evidence that has the potential to wipe out existence as we know it, It's right under our nose, yet we're not doing anything about it. But the question is, is it already too late? We're not talking about pandas and polar bears, although we love pandas and polar bears at the Academy. We're talking about flooding. We're talking about heat. We're talking about things that really affect people where they live. And particularly in a city like Philadelphia, those impacts are not equal to everyone. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Brian Seltzer. And tomorrow is Earth Day, and that gives us plenty to think about. And also, there's a lot to do. So to tell us more about what Earth Day is going to be like here in the city of Philadelphia, as well as to give us a better sense of what the city is doing to control its environmental footprint, we welcome in Mary Bailey and Roland Wall from the Academy of Natural Sciences. Mary and Roland, it's great to have you on with us today. Hi, Jay. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having us. Thanks, all. Good to be on here. So could you tell us what your role is at the Academy? So what are each of you doing? I'll start with you, Mary. Sure. So I am currently the youth and family programs developer at the Academy. Um, I live in the education department and my job is primarily translating all of the awesome science and work that we do and figuring out ways to get some of the uh, really cool research that we do behind the scenes out on the floor for guests. So if you come to the Academy and, um, you know, your young person goes to our summer camp, or if you come out and you talk to one of our staff members or volunteers on the floor, I'm the person that helps get that content out there so that that our guests can be inspired to help make the world a better place and learn more about it. So I'm the director of the Patrick Center for Environmental Research, which is one of the research departments of the Academy. We focus on on environmental questions, particularly that relate to aquatic systems and watersheds, and especially looking at how to either minimize or or manage uh, human impacts on those systems. So 52 years, this has been 52 years since the first Earth Day. We're on the eve of Earth Day 2022. What are some of the top level environmental protection issues that should matter most to us? I know, Roland, you mentioned water, and that is a huge part of just the changing of climates around the globe. Specifically here in Philadelphia, what do we need to look for? Two things I would say first, in, in before pointing out to anything specific, which is different than where we were 50 years ago on Earth Day. One, we really understand better how connected everything is and how complicated these issues are. So before I were going to draw one or the other amount, if we're talking about flooding, we're also talking about climate change. If we're talking about urban heat, we're also talking about air quality. So those those issues all connect together. And I think it's important that people understand that. The second thing, which I think has also been a growth since, since the first Earth Day, is we understand that not everybody is affected the same way by these problems. So while we have, you know, we have a growing understanding, these are really bread and butter issues. We're not talking about pandas and polar bears, although we love pandas and polar bears at the Academy. 
We're talking about flooding. We're talking about heat. We're talking about things that really affect people where they live. And particularly in a city like Philadelphia, those impacts are not equal to everyone. So you see areas, particularly by race and poverty, that are much more impacted by environment than perhaps wealthier areas. So, so it's important we understand that as we go forward. That said, urban heat is, is a particular issue. Cities get hotter than, than the surrounding countryside. And in Philadelphia, like all cities, even though it's hotter, some neighborhoods are much hotter than others. So places like Hunting Park, areas in North Philly, that again, sort of break out on, on race and, and income lines, generally are much warmer and, and face more heat emergencies. So there's a real effort being made to try to deal with some of that. On sort of the other direction, an issue that Philadelphia's been dealing with for a long time, but it remains a big issue, is urban stormwater. We have a lot of rain, we have a lot of water go running off into the rivers, but the fact is when there's very heavy rain, because we have a very old system, there's actually sewage ends up getting dumped in the rivers. So that's a thing that the, the city's been trying for a long time to control. It's actually ahead of other cities, particularly in its use of green stormwater infrastructure. But that is a problem that remains continuous. I, I wouldn't want to call out any other problems specifically because they say they all overlap, but there's things like open space and food and air quality in particular. I'm not an air quality expert, but Philadelphia has some significant air quality issues. So those are all things that are on the focus for as you think about as you think about environmental problems. You did bring up a point there where even last year, I remember having a conversation about how there are neighborhoods, particularly black and brown ones in this city, that are hotter than others. And part of that is because of how the infrastructure is set up, where there aren't enough trees in certain neighborhoods. The asphalt takes things over. So an 85-degree day in most parts of the city is a 95- or 100-degree day in where you laid out Hunting Park and places like that. So this is all very much interconnected when you think about both climate and socioeconomic status when it comes to race, these are tied together seemingly more so than we probably want to admit at times. And I'll just say more so historically and that we understand that it's really historic patterns of segregation, things like redlining that really position these neighborhoods in the way they are. Mary, I'm in my 30s and I'm having <laughs> trouble sometimes processing complicated issues like these and some of the things that Roland brought up. From your standpoint, how do you get people engaged in taking some of these really complex yet critical issues that we need to understand so we can help the planet and then get it into a digestible form for people to engage with and interact with? One thing that's really exciting about the people that visit the museum or engage with the academy, you know, online or in person, is that they already have a sense of the type of people that they are, where they're from, and the issues that we face. And, and I think that that kind of is what Earth Day has always exemplified, is that it's something that's an entry point, it's accessible. So when people come to the academy, you know, kids come in and they already know that they learned in school about climate change, or they already know that they know the three R's, reduce, reuse, recycle. And so it's, it's really, really helpful when folks come in, in my work, to sort of help them have this moment where they realize that they already know an awful lot about a thing and it helps give them agency to take those steps. I think one thing the Academy does really well is that we connect real science and real scientists with people who want to know more. You know, we're kind of looked at as an authority in a way. So a lot of the programming that we do, um, you know, people, people come and meet us where they're at. And increasingly, we're trying to get out into the communities to meet people where they are as well. Philadelphia was kind of on the ground floor of the whole Earth Day thing. What does that mean for the, have the city of Philadelphia, which has tended to be at the forefront of a lot of things in this country when we think about it, to have Earth Day be kind of based here in the city of Philadelphia? 
Oh my God. Was I'm the only one who was alive then? (laughs) (laughs) Going to plead the fifth. (laughs) Uh, Um, The history of Earth Day, it it, it spun off of college teachings that were going on. There was a lot happening at that time around, you know, there were some major oil spills. The Clean Water Act was first starting to come, come up. Uh, or issues that were causing the Clean Water Act first started to come up. The other thing that happened then that I always thought is interesting, and I think where it got the name Earth Day actually, is that we were just beginning to see these we call panoptic visions of, of views of the of the Earth from outer space. You know, the Apollo missions and some of the early early space missions were showing us the whole Earth in a way we hadn't seen it before. And I think that that got people really inspired and 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 moved them along. I think. Earth Day took place in a number of cities, but I think Philly, and I'm not exactly sure why. I know the Academy was involved. We have, as I say, a picture of, we were founded by Dr. Ruth Patrick, who was involved in the original Earth Day in 1970. And uh, we have a photo of her doing that somewhere, of Dr. Patrick uh, and the then president of the Academy holding a box with their hands in dirt, which I assume had something to do with Earth, that was supposed to be marking um, Earth Day. And so I think because of that, because of Philly's you know, general um, size and, and what was going on here. The the first Earth Day brought in a number of, of, of big names to speak here and folks who were already in the city doing things. So it was a very pivotal moment in terms of how folks looked at the environment. Yeah, I love that Philadelphia took it, right? The, the idea for Earth Day started in 1969. They were interested in galvanizing the student movement and the college students. So they planned it for basically, I think, you know, spring break in uh, 1970, April 22nd. But Philadelphia had to go all out. and We had a week of events that we were managing for that. So uh, I think that that's pretty interesting and pretty cool that that's where we were. And speaking of which, Earth Day is obviously a big deal at the Academy of Natural Sciences. What do you guys have planned out for this Earth Day or Earth Week as it could be? (laughs) Actually, we kicked off on World Water Day on March 22nd. So the uh, the entire month, uh, and actually we expanded it a little bit so we could reach more audiences, but this entire month we've had cleanup days. We have story times for preschoolers. We went out to a stream out in, you know, out a little bit uh, west of here, and we looked for macroinvertebrates and talked about stream health with some museum guests. And then, you know, our big kind of culminating event is tomorrow night, and we're really excited about it. We're kind of dipping our toe back into these festival programs again after two long years. We're having an Earth Day celebration at the Academy tomorrow. It is from 4 to 8 p.m. It's pay what you wish. You can pay at the door, uh, although we do recommend calling ahead and getting your tickets uh, or going online and getting them. And we're going to have a beer garden. We're going to have the triumphant return of the Academy Beer Garden in Dinosaur Hall. But the best part about it is that we were able to engage partners from around the city to join us. So we've got folks from Philadelphia Water Department coming. We've got Philadelphia Zoo, Schuylkill Center for Environmental Education, people from Drexel coming, in addition to our own staff and some um, you know, sponsors and partners that are really interested. So for the first time in a really long time, we're getting you know 60 or 70 people together to talk about their expertise, what they're excited about, and do hands-on activities for intergenerational groups and really get people more action steps for things that they can do at home and how they can get involved. So that's going to be the big event. Past that, we're going to be doing a couple more programs out at the Schuylkill Center this weekend. Next weekend on April 30th, we have a wonderful program that we run called Access to Science, where folks on the autism spectrum can pre-register and come in for free. Uh, and they get to join the museum, um, the, you know, the museum experience, but in a way that's a little bit less chaotic, a little quieter, and we can give them a really special experience on that day. Now, we got to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation with Mary Bailey and Roland Wall from the Academy of Natural Sciences coming up 
after this. I'm Jay. I'm Brian, and we're talking with Mary Bailey and Roland Wall from the Academy of Natural Sciences. It is Earth Day tomorrow, and the Academy is holding its Earth Day festival throughout the day tomorrow. One of the events is this project called Anthems for the Anthropocene. It's a challenge to Drexel music students to come up with and create their own songs to focus on attention surrounding the climate crisis. I think this is something that sounds awesome in concept, and literally, it sounds awesome. Let's listen to a few snippets. I can't change a single thing Oh really I bet that's what the wind says to the water And the songs that were submitted to the contest, I think, speak to a lot of themes surrounding, obviously, environmental protection, climate change, but they do so in a really urgent way. My planet is suffering. suffering. It's a cry for help. It's time to wake up. Wake up from the sleep of ignorance. Don't suffocate the earth. What do you guys think we can do in our everyday lives? We've got such a massive problem for a massive planet. What can we do in our everyday lives to try and start to help make a difference? I think it's really important to continue to talk about um, individual and collective action so that the choices that you make as an individual do impact the planet. You know, at the Academy, we say small actions spark big change. And I think that the mindfulness around the choices that you're making is really, really important for people. And, you know, it's a lot of the things that people already know about reduce, reuse, recycle, save energy. If you uh, have green space in your area, you know, plant native species, you know, do integrated pest management rather than, you know, chemical pest management, if you possibly can carry a reusable straw or skip the straw, you know, carry the reusable tote bag if you can. I think all of those things are really important actions that help remind all of us that we are part of a community on this planet, right? No matter who we are, where we're from, but, you know, To be perfectly honest, the most important thing that a person can do, an individual can do, is not at that individual level, but it's to work as an individual to make more civic and grander policy changes. And so, um, Roland, I think you can talk a little bit more about this, but we're not going to tell anybody who to vote for. But the most important action that you can take is to get involved Research the political candidates and the people who are making decisions about where you live and determine if the the decisions that they're making and their their policy record aligns with the type of world you want to live in. And then, you know, speak with your vote. Um, Make sure that the people that you're putting in charge are thinking about the future. I mean, it's interesting that we're partnered so strongly with Drexel and other universities for this Earth Day event, because honestly, these young people, they're the ones that are they're literally going to inherit the earth. So we need to be thinking long term. What are the decisions that are being made now at the policy level that are going to be affecting us? Individual actions, obviously important. Do your recycling, you know, reduce your carbon footprint, all those kind of things. Mathematically, that's not going to save the planet. And and unfortunately, the the if you sort of game it out and figure out how many individual actions it would take, there's literally no way that that's going to to fix all the problems that are occurring. So clearly, understanding how your role fits into collective action, 
whether it's voting, which is obviously very important in understanding who you vote for, or whether it's involvement with other other aspects of, of collective action around the environment. And that can be anything from, you know, your local community garden to, you know, something like the world climate strike. Not that I'm saying anyone should go on the climate strike, but it's it's one of those things that that you know, it, it, those kinds of activities that we as individuals decide to get involved with, but the individual decision is really around how you're building into the collective action that might have some, of, you know, some amplified effect on the environment. So this brings us back to really where we started this conversation. We're at 52 years now of Earth Day. How close are we to a don't look up moment? Are we in a better or worse spot than we were 52 years ago in 1970? even 32 years ago in 1990, because the 90s are when Earth Day really began to take off around the country. Where are we right now? We're in a different spot than we were. I, I, you know, in when they started doing this 52 years ago, the problems were were literally raw sewage and, and industrial waste going into rivers without any any regulation. Those kinds of those kinds of immediate sort of issues some of them have been dealt with. I mean, the Clean Water Act did a lot of good, and and you know, people can you can look, you could swim in the Delaware River if you want it, probably. Um, but you certainly don't have to worry about the smell of the Delaware River being carried up into airplanes landing in the Philly airport, which it used to do in the 1950s and 60s. So, so there, there's a different place. The problem now, and 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 Brian mentioned the Anthropocene. It's you know it's a term that scientists use and scholars use to sort of symbolize the era that the you know epoch that we live in, which is simply that human impact has become so overweening and so overwhelming on so many different all the systems of the planet. There's literally nothing right now. There's no there's no space on the planet. There's no systems on the planet that don't have some human effect on them that humans aren't affecting. And I think you know understanding that level of responsibility that we no longer have the ability to think, boy, nature's going to get it. They'll fix it sooner or later, or somebody will do something about it. It's a very, you know, it's a very real thing. And, and it's, it's occurring, you know, all over the world. And I think the second thing that we didn't know in 1970, we're starting to get a hint to, but certainly understand now is climate change. And that, that will be the, that will be sort of the Uber problem, at least for the rest of our lifetimes that we're going to have to, we're going to have to look at some giant combination of policy and action to, to work on those kind of problems. I don't know, Mary, do you have a more optimistic uh, take on it? Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, climate change and environmental um, and conservation concern fatigue is a real thing. It can be, it can be really daunting to look at how vast everything is. And it is also very easy sometimes to take the most negative or the dimmest view about it, right? That there's this cliff that we're about to hit that, you know, we've, we've passed it, we've surpassed it. Um, there's nothing that can be done. But, you know, I think that there, there is some hope for the future, exactly as Roland said, we, we started with things that made a major difference that were visible or smellable in the case of the, you know, the sewage going up to the airplanes. And, and I do think that there is some hope to be had, but it's gotta be sustained and I think that it's also, you know, we can't, we can't kind of lose sight of the prize, you know, we can't give up, you know, because we do have, you know, children and, and grandchildren and, you know, the young people that 
that are part of the academy and the Drexel community that are going to be there. You know, so for me, when I kind of you read the reports about some terrible thing that's happened or, you know, we, we've got to get carbon neutral by, you know, X date or whatever, and, you know, the whole world is going to collapse. I think that the truth is actually probably somewhere in between, right? Nature's not going to save us. We can't wait for Superman in that way. There are things that we can be doing, but we do have to keep doing them. But when you get tired of it, you know, it's okay to, it's okay to turn off <laughs> the the don't look up movie for a minute and watch something else. It, you know, that's all right. As long as you are mindful of the fact that you are making good decisions and it helps, you know, keep that positive aspect. And, and the only thing I'd add to that is it's, it's got to be con- consistent over time. It's also got to be everybody. And we can't treat it like this is just a niche interest of of the wealthy or or affluent or whatever, that this is really something that everybody's being affected by it. Some people are being affected by it much more than others, including those who don't necessarily have all the choices and decisions to make that they can make. And so we have to make sure that everybody is is engaged and and has an opportunity to participate and to benefit from whatever happens with the environment. Yeah, I, I agree, Roland. I think that there's real alienation. You know, you're talking about I mean, look at look what's going on right now with gas prices in the U.S. and some of the short term solutions that have been suggested. Right. We need to get off our dependence on foreign oil. I'm, you know, you know, whether or not you believe the economy of that or you understand the economy of that. And one way to alleviate that is to increase, you know, drilling and other types of fossil fuel production in the states. Well, you know, as an environmentalist and a person who believes in conservation, I don't really want to see that happening. But I do appreciate that there are people who literally cannot afford to fill their vehicle to get to work. So I think what really needs to happen is that there's got to be this, you know, much more democratic understanding about where people are on all sides of the issue so that we can make these decisions in a way that literally brings everybody forward with us. You know, I think that there's this reputation of like elites that are making these decisions, you know, who can afford to purchase an electric vehicle? You know, who are the ones that are not affected by, uh, by you know, policy issues? Who's not going to lose their job over it? And so I think that, you know, we really need to have I don't know what the opposite of polemicism is, but basically coming together to figure these things out together and understand that this is something that truly, as Roland says, affects all of us, but it needs to make it that everybody's coming forward together. Mary Bailey and Roland Wall, thank you so much for joining us here. Happy Earth Day. Happy Earth Day. Thank you. And if you check out the show notes or our Twitter at the John Cast for links, you'll find everything that the Academy has planned for Earth Day. And of course, you should definitely drop a follow on them at ACAD, A-C-A-D, Nat Sci, that's N-A-T-S-C-I, on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Brian Seltzer. And tomorrow, we'll send you into the weekend with another installment of the KYW News Radio Sports Fan of the Week. Plus, if you've ever wondered what it's like to run social media at a place with hundreds of thousands of followers, get ready to find out when we talk to our digital content manager, Sarah Smith. No relation. She'll join us tomorrow. You guys have a great Thursday, and we'll help bring you into the weekend when we get to Friday. Have a good one.